In the wake of Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, communities across Texas and Florida are facing a combined $200 billion in damage. With hundreds of thousands of homes destroyed by natural disasters, Houston alone needs more than 100,000 construction workers to get to work immediately to get the city back in order. There's just one problem. The U.S. construction industry is facing a labor shortage so severe that experts predict they will need seven to 800,000 new workers over the next decade just to keep up with demand. That leaves us with one major question. Who, or maybe I should say what, is going to rebuild all those houses and buildings? This is Work in Progress. Keeping an American business alive, it's just not as easy anymore. I watch too much go wrong. There are not a lot of choices. So the industry needs to recruit the next generation of construction workers. But until that happens, the amount of homes that can be built in a given year is going to be limited. There's opportunities here that are untapped. You have to go get them. I'm just hoping that something will eventually crop up and get my life started. Welcome to LinkedIn's Work in Progress, a podcast on the future of the world of work. I'm your host, Senior Editor Caroline Fairchild. And I'm LinkedIn Managing Editor Chip Cutter. I'm heading up a reporting effort for LinkedIn where I'm traveling across the country to talk to people about what it means to earn a living now. There are few current events that have happened since we launched this podcast that have forced us to stop everything to examine a specific issue, but the devastation of both Hurricane Harvey and Irma have done just that. The last few weeks of storms have left communities across the country destroyed, and we are just starting to think about how both Florida and Texas are going to rebound from some of the worst natural disasters in recent decades. Natural disasters cause billions of dollars of damage, both from a property perspective as well as an economic one. But there's something a little bit different this time, and that's that there's this giant shortage of construction. In 2012, after Superstorm Sandy, unemployment was at a higher level across the country, and there was also a lot more construction workers who were out of work. That's no longer the case. A survey of 1,600 contractors in July and August found that 70% of them say they're struggling to fill certain positions. And more than half said, for instance, that they can't find electricians or plumbers or concrete workers, bricklayers, these skilled trades positions that are certainly needed if you want to get cities and economies back on track after these storms. And as you all know, Chip and I both work here at LinkedIn. And given that we have 500 million professionals across the platform, we can actually use our data to see what skills are in highest demand in certain areas and what skills are, say, in excess. So according to LinkedIn data, Houston is facing one of the largest skill shortages in construction. And neighboring cities like Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin, they follow quickly behind. That presents a huge issue for the rebuilding efforts after these storms. The Tampa-St. Petersburg area, where Irma hit, has a relative abundance of construction workers, but just like Chip was talking about, that abundance has been shrinking fast over the past several years. So with all the work that's going to need to be done in both these states, it got us wondering if we're going to start to see really sort of a gold rush of sorts, of people just rushing into these states looking for work or thinking that they'll at least get higher paying jobs in these areas. And already we're starting to see people doing this. I spoke with a 28-year-old named Steele James. He lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And just days after the storm hit, he got the idea to drive three hours to Houston to look for a job in roofing sales. He brought his girlfriend along. They rented a hotel for $350 a week. 
And he just started going to all different kinds of roofing companies, asking if they needed someone like him to start selling for them. Sometimes I'd read internet forums about these guys who would just always travel to hurricane to hurricane site, and, and, and they would make these um, insane amounts of money. And I had worked for a roofing company very briefly when I was younger. And I heard the same types of stories, too. I mean, even not even just hurricane uh, damage, like um, cities that had really bad hail damage, too. These guys would just come in, take these jobs, work for about three months and have kind of a mini retirement for like three years. And as he explained to me, roofing is a job where timing really matters. Basically, um, roofing sales is um, a door to door gig. By and large, you go door to door and and you say, hey, um, you know, I'm in your area. Uh, I work with a company that's licensed and bonded, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Have you looked into following an insurance claim? And you just walk them through the process. If they're interested, it's a yes. If not, they'll slam the door in your face. And it's just kind of one of those games. But yeah, for a hurricane, that's the best time for roofing sales, no doubt. He ended up only staying in Houston for a week, finding that there were just more jobs for laborers and people with construction skills than there were for those looking for jobs in sales. But for skilled craftsmen, for people who know how to kind of take these damaged buildings and get them back to life, the work is really just beginning. And contractors are starting to notice. I think it was on CNN or MSNBC. They had posted how much they estimate the construction will cost, and it was like $190 billion. Yeah. And I was like, if I get like a percent of that or a tenth of a percent, like that's more than enough. That was Asia Denson. She's a general contractor who owns her own construction company in Detroit. She is interesting because she actually had a chance to work in some of the reconstruction efforts during Hurricane Katrina. But at the time, she was a student at Jackson State University in Mississippi, finishing her industrial engineering degree. She didn't want to put that on hold, but she said the offers to work for six months, making 60 grand in that period, were really hard to turn down. But she says she just doesn't want to make that mistake twice. She has a crew of four people who work for her. She texted them right after Hurricane Harvey and said, hey, do you want to think about moving to Houston? And they all said yes. She's thinking about moving to the area in a month or two. She's watching bids from FEMA, and she says she could easily transition her whole company, changing her SEO, for instance, to say that she's a Houston area contractor instead of a Detroit contractor. She says this wouldn't take a lot of work. She could be down there pretty quickly. I feel like this is probably going to be kind of like the gold rush, maybe. And then on top of that, you know, it's, of course, uh, a lot of millionaires are probably going to be made from this, unfortunately. But then at the same time, you know, you'll be helping people. So Asia knows she's a rarity. She's someone with the skills, with the crew, with the experience to tackle these projects. But for Texas and Florida to rebuild, they'll need a lot more people like her. And the question is, can we find them? And if we can't find them, what are the efforts to date to deploy automation and robotics to make up for this massive labor shortage that we know construction is experiencing? Our guest this week has been tracking this since its inception during the Great Recession. Robert Dietz is the chief economist and senior vice president for economics and housing policy for the National Association of Home Builders. He knows a lot about this topic. His responsibilities include housing market analysis, economic forecasting, and industry surveys. Rob, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to Work in Progress. Great. Thanks for having me. So to start, can you just give us a little bit of the size and the scope of where we are with the construction industry right now? Well, I think the, the key feature of the housing industry right now is that we don't have enough homes for sale. And a lot of that challenge is due to the fact that we've been underbuilding 
single-family homes for a number of years. After the Great Recession, the industry really focused on apartment development, uh, so we saw a lot of gains and growth in the multifamily sector, but limited gains and underbuilding on the single-family side. This year, for example, in 2017, we expect to build about 840,000 single-family homes, and the need is probably on a per-year basis at about 1.3 million. Some of it's due to lack of land and building lots, increases in building material prices. But a large part of the challenge is really associated with a lack of workers. The residential construction industry lost about 1.5 million workers as a result of the Great Recession. And over the last few years, we've only gained about 700,000 of them back. So in key markets where we have a lot of growth, it's recruiting workers as a real challenge to increasing production volume of homes. And can you unpack for us a little bit why those workers were lost, quote unquote, during the Great Recession and why they didn't come back once houses started to be built again? Well, the reason for the loss is a lot of job losses just simply due to the fact that there wasn't a tremendous amount of building during the recession. At its peak, single-family construction was down almost 80% on an annualized basis. So it was natural that a lot of home-building companies, remodeling companies, lost workers due to layoffs, uh, due to people switching to other sectors. And then as the recovery occurred, it occurred first in multifamily. So you did have uh, some worker gains that were concentrated in the apartment development sector. But as single family lagged and then began to start on this sort of modest recovery path, there were other sectors of the economy where that same labor pool, uh, they were in competition with each other. Moreover, the workforce is aging. The typical worker in the occupation of construction is now above age 40. Immigration slowed after the Great Recession, and immigration has traditionally been a a source of workers. Uh, Non-native-born workers make up about a quarter of the construction industry's labor force. It's going to be greater in in some states. But all these challenges put together mean that over the last few years, we've seen a rising rate of open, unfilled jobs in the construction sector. And builders have consistently told us over the last two, three, four years that labor shortages and the availability and the cost of workers is their top business challenge. Rob, we've been doing a lot of reporting about shortages in all sorts of different industries. What have you heard from builders about what they're trying to do to get more people into the industry now? First is, who are the kinds of workers that you want to attract? So uh, obviously, there's a lot of focus on trying to recruit that next generation. So younger workers, I think there's a renewed emphasis both by builders, by local home building associations, the the local chapters of the NAHB network, to recruit those younger workers into community colleges, into trade schools, and into work sites. That's a a challenge because a lot of workers today, particularly among millennials and and increasingly Gen Z, they want to do an occupation that involves uh, sitting behind a computer. So I think the industry is going to have to make the argument about uh, middle-class wages, the ability to start your own business, and not necessarily everyone wants to work in a kind of an office environment. Uh, Some people do want to work with their hands. So getting those workers into trade schools and community colleges uh, and get them educated for a business in in construction is going to be a challenge over the next five, ten years. Estimates from the government indicate that we probably need seven to 800,000 additional construction workers over the next decade. And the residential construction industry has been adding workers. Uh, It's not that we're not growing. We're just not growing fast enough. 
And have we seen builders respond by raising pay? Have we seen the the wages of contractors and those in construction? Have we seen those actually going up over in this period where there has been the shortage? The wages were not increasing in the initial years after the Great Recession, but in recent years, wages in residential construction have been rising faster than wage growth uh, for the overall economy. It's a little bit of a data challenge because as you bring in workers that have less experience, uh, like in any profession, you're going to pay those workers initially less. So that's pushing downward pressure on wages, even as the upward pressure dominates due to scarcity. Let's talk a little bit about Harvey. Obviously, the city is already working to start rebuilding, but could you give us a little bit of a sense of how many people might be needed to really help the city reconstruct some of these homes and buildings and businesses? Sure. So the estimates are fairly preliminary right now because there's not a lot of good data, but the initial estimates suggest uh, maybe about 100,000 homes that need repairs. Uh, given some of the prior data work we've done uh, after disasters and looking at the typical remodeling, repair, and rehab work that's required, we're probably estimating that 10 to 20,000 additional construction workers are needed in the Houston market alone just for housing repair. Uh, so that doesn't count uh, office space or government buildings or roads or other kinds of infrastructures, but just repairs of homes, 10 to 20,000 workers. And that's a sizable increase uh, given the fact that there's probably only about 90,000 uh, workers in the Houston area that are in the home building sector. So you're talking a 10 to 20% increase that are needed uh, during the repair period, which is likely to last a year or more. Right. And 10 to 20,000 workers, that's a lot of bodies that are going to need to be in Houston for, as you say, at least the next year after the devastation is done. Have you thought at all about where these workers are going to come from, who these workers are? Well, if prior disasters are a guide, uh, they will come regionally. So they won't just come from uh, workers uh, available in that market. They're going to have to come from other markets. So we're going to see a spillover effect. Neighboring markets are going to see an uptick in labor scarcity. And so those would include workers in areas in Louisiana and Georgia and Florida and other parts of Texas, particularly North Texas. Uh, the Dallas market has a fairly large labor shortage. So that labor shortage is likely to uh, get worse uh, in the short run. But it's the same kind of challenge we've been facing as an industry, which is the workforce is growing. And it's just not growing fast enough. And those uh, lack of growth. Uh, Growth is, is going to impose limitations on how fast rebuilding can take place. And is this the best of times? If you're one of these workers that's coming from Florida or North Texas, are you suddenly going to make a windfall on this? Is this, given that there is such a shortage, are we going to see pay dramatically increase? Is that also likely? Pay will increase. I don't know if best of times is the right way to put it. There will be an increase in wages, but at the end of the day, wages are limited by the amount of money that buyers are willing to spend on homes or on home repairs. So that money has to come from somewhere. And those limits are set by budget constraints. And you know, one of the real challenges in the Houston area is going to be how do you repair and rebuild and continue to expand that market in an affordable way. And Rob, a lot of jobs across industries are being assisted, if not replaced, with things like automation and artificial intelligence. Do you have a sense for how this shortage is going to impact the speed to which these jobs are going to be replaced by technology? And how are you guys thinking about automation within the construction industry? 
I think there's a potential for businesses to be successful and make money by finding new ways to build homes. I think it will occur slower in the construction industry than in other sectors. One of the things that's great about home building is it's literally made in America. So for the typical single-family home, you're talking about three jobs. Uh, For the typical apartment, one job. Uh, For every $100,000 in remodeling, uh, it's another job. So to move away from that and essentially reduce the the job impact by getting more from less, uh, that's going to be a challenge because the industry is highly decentralized. Uh, There's about 50,000 home building companies in the United States. So it's not a large number or a small number of large firms that can capitalize and and change overnight. It's going to be a cultural change. So do you think, though, that if we come out of this, if we're reflecting about what happens after these storms, would you say that Harvey could be this catalyst that finally gets the construction industry saying, we've got to actually think about automation in a different way. We've really got to pay more attention to this. Yes, the industry is decentralized, but this is kind of that moment that shows us what can happen when when these shortages really are in effect across the country. I'm hopeful that the industry will evolve and uh, improve and become more efficient in the years ahead. I'm not sure there's a single catalyst moment. I think Harvey is an important moment in the post-recession period, but there's been a number of those. And quite frankly, I think builders have been dealing with this issue for so long now, three to four years, depending on how you want to measure it, that you're really not going to be able to point to a single moment. This is going to be a slow change. The industry is kind of like a battleship. It doesn't turn on a dime. And there are a lot of constraints in place that prevent rapid change. But I think we all kind of know where the industry is headed uh, over the next decade or two. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation. Great. Thank you. That was Robert Dietz talking to us about how the construction worker shortage will impact the ability to rebuild both Texas and Florida in the wake of these storms. Chip, coming out of that conversation with Rob, I still can't really wrap my head around why there isn't more pressure on this industry to automate some of these jobs. You're right. With a labor shortage as massive as this one, you'd think that there would be a lot more work being done to inject technology into the process. And there are some companies that are doing this. There's an Australian-based firm called Fast Brick Robotics. It's creating a prototype that can build a two-story brick house in two days, which, of course, now it takes months to get a home off the ground. Another company based out of Baltimore called Blueprint Robotics is also using robotics to speed up residential construction. But these efforts really have yet to reach critical mass. So to get a better sense for why some of these construction jobs haven't been automated to date, we spoke with LinkedIn's chief economist, Guy Berger. Guy leads LinkedIn's economic research, and he develops a lot of analysis on the skills gap, hiring, and unemployment using LinkedIn's own data. This is what he had to say about why these jobs, or skills rather, haven't been automated yet. In general, it is kind of an interesting thing to me that construction is one of those industries that has not seen a lot of automation. There are certain skills that are very high end, like, for example, architects, maybe construction foremen. But you think of the bulk of the labor, and this is a lot of you know, what would traditionally be referred to as low skill or semi-skilled labor, moving heavy objects around. I almost joke, smashing things together. I think that certainly many construction workers would bristle a little bit of my characterization, but I think that's sort of the nerdy economist way of characterizing it. And to me... I would have guessed this is exactly the kind of role that will be right for automation. It is the kind of thing that involves moving things from place to place where you kind of think industrial robots do their thing. It hasn't really happened, and I don't know 
why. Maybe it's just that up until recently, construction labor was simply so cheap and plentiful in the collapse of the housing bubble that you didn't really have to think about it. And now all of a sudden, construction home builders are going to think, wow, I can't find all the workers that I want. I really should consider automating this more. But it's it's a head scratcher. I would have felt like this is totally the industry that is ripe for automation and it hasn't happened. And I'm still looking forward to somebody explaining it to me in a really satisfactory way. So the issue that Guy is really touching on there is that we are seeing some high-skill jobs in construction getting replaced with automation, but we aren't seeing that lower down when you think about who's actually building these houses. And that's a really interesting point. Why are the high-skill jobs being replaced with technology, but not the low-skill jobs? And pay is this issue that I hear people across the country talking about when they're looking at these jobs in Houston, in Florida. I talked with Paris Nason. He's a 37-year-old from Chicago. He was looking for a job, and he thought he'd get something in kind of the general labor and construction cleanup efforts in Houston, thinking there might be a chance to go down there, make a good living for a couple of months. But he found that most of the jobs advertised paid $10 to $13 an hour. And this is hard work, hauling wet drywall out of these homes in still pretty hot conditions. A lot of them in the descriptions, it was saying things about be prepared to work 10 hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day, be prepared to work six or seven days a week. You know, and I'm like, okay, that's uh, that's that's pretty time consuming. Not that I'm afraid of, you know, spending time, but. It would be nice if the pay were a bit higher. And you got to also consider that it's not like I'm going to go back to my comfortable home after my shifts. I'll probably be in a trailer or something like that. So, you know, do I do I want to do that for 10 to $13 an hour? Not really. So in Paris's case, he actually abandoned his search for jobs in Houston and ended up finding something in Chicago. He's going to make about $12 an hour for an airline catering company called Gate Gourmet at Chicago's O'Hare Airport. But in some of his past life, he's worked as a truck driver, he's driven for Lyft, and he's actually seen automation up close. He once delivered supplies to a warehouse and he was backing up his truck and then looking into this distribution center and just seeing nothing but robotic forklifts doing their thing, driving all over the place. He really was interested in automation. And so I asked him if he thought this would apply to some of the work he was applying for, which is working as a construction worker, as a laborer. And he said he could easily see those jobs following a similar path. As far as demolition or construction, I could definitely see it. I guess when I can say construction, I think the bigger parts of a project may be automated. The more delicate things probably humans will still do. Maybe uh, the electricians and the plumbers and stuff like that will still be done by people for a while. But the bigger parts of a project, say they're building a skyscraper, I could see that being fully automated. Why not? So what do we really know here? We know that there is this massive labor shortage in construction workers as workers not only age out of the industry, but also go for other higher paying, less physically demanding jobs. And we also know that Hurricane Harvey and Irma are putting a ton of pressure on the construction industry to get things built faster. Will this mean a speed up in automation efforts? It might, but in the meantime, it's still pretty unclear how exactly we'll get to the future Paris described, where we're only seeing robots on construction sites putting up skyscrapers. 
Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please feel free to rate and review our show on iTunes. It really helps. Also, we'd love for you to share your thoughts on the show on LinkedIn using hashtag work in progress. You can find me on LinkedIn at Caroline Fairchild and Twitter at Seafair One. And to follow Chip Cutter and his travels, follow him on LinkedIn and Twitter as well at Chip Cutter. This week's show was produced by Florencia Ariando and David Pond. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>